indicated he is at a preaching conference and uh, having a few days of encouragement and and uh, instruction and fellowship so we want to pray for him as he enjoys these next couple days also um, we want to remember in prayer tonight uh, Gwen Sperling she's in, uh, continues to be at South Georgia Medical Center in, in Valdosta uh, talked to Ken this afternoon and uh, he indicated she is a lot better, still a little bit of pain, and uh, should know tomorrow when the doctors come about when she'll possibly be going home. So let's continue to remember Gwen in prayer. We want to uh, remember in Christian sympathy uh, today uh, the family of Billy and Donna Walker and Landon and Laura Maxwell and the death of uh, Mr. Carl Walker who uh, passed away last night. So I want to remember them in prayer. Uh, the arrangements uh, for that funeral will be on Wednesday, uh, the 28th at 11 a.m. at Albritton Beaumont. And visitation will be Tuesday evening, 6 to 8, at Albritton Beaumont. So I want to remember them in prayer uh, tonight. I want to continue to remember um, Dana, who's on a mission trip, Carol, who's on that mission trip too, so we just want to remember them in prayer tonight as well. Let's go to the Lord and, and pray. Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful for, for Brother Wayne, how just week in and week out he opens up his heart and opens up the word of God to us. Father, we thank you that there are occasions where he can slip away and, and get with fellow pastors and, and get with instructors of preaching and ins, inspirational times. And Father, we just pray for, for Brother Wayne this first few days of this week that he'll just have a time of refreshing and encouragement. Father, just be with him. And Father, we pray also, especially uh, tonight, for... For Gwen Sperlin, Lord, we just pray you'll continue to speed healing to her, ministering to her body and restoring her. Father, we thank you also just for your, your tender, loving mercies that have, that have carried Mr. Carl Walker his whole life. Father, as his journey ended last night, we just thank you for taking him home, but pray especially for Billy and Donna and Landon and Laura and the family tonight, that you'll just encourage them and that they'll feel your presence and, and your love and support. Father, we also want to just extend our prayers uh, in missions tonight. We pray for, for Dana. We pray for Carol. We pray for our mission effort here in the state of Georgia. Lord, we just pray that you would enable us to meet or exceed our goal, that you would enable us to pray for these missions that are going on right in our own backyard. Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would see many, many people in Georgia one to Christ. 
discipled and sent out to the rest of the world even. Father, we thank you for this night of prayer, for this night of worship, this night of teaching. And we just invite you to move in our midst, for you to speak to our hearts, for you to comfort and encourage, for you to challenge us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The next song that we're going to sing, wow, this is loud. The next song that we're going to sing is from Psalm 42.1. And it compares our longing for God to the longing that a deer has for water brooks. The name of it is As the Deer. And I don't know if you've ever wanted something so bad that you could just almost taste it. But that's how our love and our desire for our God should be. Would you please stand as we sing, As the Deer. relationship we have with Jesus. You are my friend and you are my brother even though you are a king. I love you more than any other, so much more than Spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship Thee. I want You more than gold or silver, only You can satisfy. You alone are the real joy giver and the apple of my eye. You alone are my strength, my shield.
Let us pray. Um, dear God, just thank you for this day and that we can come here to worship you. And dear God, you loved us first and you have given us everything. And dear God, I pray tonight that we will give you something in the offering. It doesn't have to be money, but dear God, there's so many things that we keep from you, like time. And I know there are things in my life that I don't let you control. And there are probably things like that in other people's lives tonight. So dear God, I pray tonight that we won't pass the empty plate. And we will give you something like our time and those things that are keeping us from you. In your name we pray. Amen. you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Acts chapter 3. We're going to focus on that chapter tonight. Pentecost was a day in the life of the disciples they'd never forget. The Holy Spirit filled them. The disciples, as it says in chapter 2, spoke in tongues declaring the mighty acts of God. Peter preached the gospel and 3,000 people repented 
believed on Jesus for forgiveness of their sins. There was a feeling of excitement. Man, men and women were, as it says in chapter 2, were devoting themselves to God's word, to fellowship. They were devoting themselves to prayer. They were committed to one another. They were eating. Sounds like Baptist, doesn't it? Well, they were eating in each other's homes. There was gladness of heart. There was joy. They were sharing what they had with one another. The Lord was adding to their number every day. Um, Every day somebody was, was trusting Jesus. In the wake of this success, it would be easy. Uh, to remove one's attention from, from the Lord. It's easy to get busy. It's easy to get caught up with spiritual activity. But Peter and John didn't allow the activities to keep them from their, from their time of prayer. Let's look at Acts chapter 3 verse 1. It says, One day Peter and John were growing up to the temple. At the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are just in awe of your goodness to us and your grace. Lord, we thank you for for rich times of worship where we can draw aside from everything and just focus on worshiping you. And Father, we do just echo all the prayers that have already been prayed tonight. That truly we would stand up for you by being authentic worshipers. That Lord, we would open our heart to you and you would open the eyes of our heart. That we would just pursue you just like the deer pursues the living water, the streams. Father, that We would find our joy in Jesus Christ. Nothing else. There wouldn't be anybody else. No, not one. Only you. So, Father, may we now just worship you as we listen to your word and allow you to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are many advantages and disadvantages of going to worship at the appointed time like Peter and John. They were going at the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon, it says. Coming to worship at the appointed time can meet the deepest, the most genuine, real needs of your life, even when they're not obvious to you, even if you're not aware of them, even if they're not immediate, felt needs. By coming at the appointed time, whether it's 7 p.m. tonight or 11 in the morning, whatever, the appointed times of worship. God can meet some of the deepest needs of your life just by your coming and opening your heart to Him. Also, coming to worship at the appointed time encourages others who are present. One of the things that uh, always excites me is I love seeing our senior adult choir sing. And the reason is every time they sing, you know what goes through my mind? I think... That's the youth choir 70 years ago. That's what I think. I think when they're standing, I'm thinking, you know, 70 years ago, they were the youth choir. 
And they're still walking with the Lord. They didn't tube out. They didn't quit. They didn't say, you know, this Christian life's too tough, or, you know, somebody hurt my feelings, I'm not coming anymore. You know? They're still here. So, a lot of times, just being a part of worship encourages just by your presence. You haven't bailed out. You haven't given up. You're still walking with the Lord. Everybody here has had tough times. Amen. Yes. Nobody's escaped challenges or disappointments. But also, it encourages us because just gathering with the family is exciting, isn't it? Don't you love going to those family reunions? Seeing people you had not seen in a while? Just being encouraged. And when we gather, we gather as the family of God. It's exciting just to gather and to see each other, encourage one another. You know, when the members of the body of Christ gather to worship, when we gather here to worship, God is glorified. God manifests Himself in our lives when we just come humbly before Him, opening our hearts to worship Him. So coming to worship at the appointed time can develop faithfulness, consistency in our life, and it can become a good, positive experience and habit. But then again, there are also some disadvantages to coming to worship at the appointed time. And y'all are already ahead of me. I know you wish I'd speed this thing up because you're already thinking faster than I can talk. But anyway, worship can become routine. It can become common. We can just settle into a rut. It can at times become monotonous and boring. Now I'm not going to mention any names. I'm just going to cast a casual glance at the person who told me that when they were younger, they got bored in worship. And they could tell me the exact number of how many light bulbs are in the chapel, our chapel. Okay? Now, if you've got that figured out, at that moment in your life, worship is routine and boring. If you're going, one, two, three. And again, I said it was in the chapel, so that was years ago. Nobody's doing that now, right? Nobody out there counting light bulbs. Good. But it, it can, just by routine, coming in, sitting, same place, same time, can become monotonous. An appointed time of worship can continue sometimes long after the genuine spirit of worship inside you has left. So the form or the shell can be perpetuated, even if the real purpose in your heart has uh, left. The great danger of this is that a false sense of security can develop. A person can think, you know, I'm fulfilling the demands of God by attending this meeting, but in reality, they're just going through the motions of religious activity. Not truly worshiping. Well, as we open up this passage of scripture, we see it's easy to become busy and to caught up with spiritual activity. It's easy to even neglect the appointed time of prayer. But it's also easy to neglect individuals also. And we're going to focus in on two passages of this scripture tonight. And the first thing we're going to see is that we must be men and women who are sensitive to the Lord in meeting the needs of individuals in Jesus' name. Let's look at this passage of Scripture, starting with verse 2. Peter and John were going to the temple, I've already read. In verse 2 it says, Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. 
And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, Peter and John, you've got to remember this, were incredibly busy men. And you go, well, how could they be busy? All they were doing was praying and maybe doing a little preaching. But if you'll just remember, only a few days before this event happened, 3,000 people placed their faith in Jesus. Now, can you imagine? Here in Tipton, Georgia, it's tonight. There were 3,000 physical births at Tit Regional Medical Center. You think that might create a small problem? How many rooms do we have in our hospital? About 180 beds. So there's 3,000 women up at the hospital tonight to give birth. How many per room is that going to be? I don't even know. What would that be? Let's say 200. 200 into 3,000. Somebody tell me. Somebody all are pretty good at math. How many would that be? 15 people per room? That'd be kind of awkward, wouldn't it? And you'd be in there and she'd say, push. No, not you, her. No, whatever. You know, you'd have 15 people saying that. And the doctor's over there coaching, you know, watching 15, 40, 50 people. Can you imagine? That would be unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Can you imagine there were 3,000 spiritual babies? 3,000 people who came to know Jesus at one time? I mean, we kind of work at it slowly, right? We have 100 or 200 a year, not 3,000 boom at one time. Can you imagine what Peter and John and the other disciples were doing? When it says they were ministering house to house, they were probably running from house to house to find out how everybody was doing, getting along, sharing with them, encouraging them. The responsibilities must have been unbelievable. Yet even with all that God was doing through their lives and in that church at that moment, as they went to the temple, according to the scriptures, they actually noticed a man sitting by the temple 
gate who'd been lame since birth. To me, that's a miracle they even noticed him. Not only did they notice him, they noticed he was in desperate need. He was totally dependent upon the charity of others. Daily, he'd sit at that temple gate and just beg for money. Obviously, he felt helpless. And that his situation was hopeless. I can imagine that at times, he probably would sit there and just kind of curse those useless legs that could do nothing. Wishing he could walk. Yet without the use of his legs, he probably felt like, well, I'm just half a man. I, I can, you know, his self-esteem was probably at the bottom. But as Peter and John entered the temple, the lame man asked them. He said, can you, can you give me some money? And their response was to stop and rivet their attention upon this man. And Peter told the man, he didn't have any silver or gold. But what I've got, I'll give you. And Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And saying those words, Peter reached down and grabbed that man. He raised the lame man. And simultaneously, the strength necessary to support his weight Return to his feet and ankles. He could not only stand up, but he could also walk. And beginning to walk, he was so filled with joy, you know, he began to jump, he began to leap, he began to praise God for what God had done for him. Now there are men and women in our community that are physically healthy. I mean, there's nothing wrong with their feet, legs, arms, whatever. They're physically healthy. But since the day they were born, since the day they started walking on this earth, they've been spiritually lame. They've had poor self-esteem. They've, that may have been passed down to them or, or they may have just, you know, because of the experiences in their life. They may have put their their own selves down. They may have put others down. Their lives are, are sad. And although they're in a desperate need, they allow their pride to come between them and others, particularly their relationship with God. See, this man was willing to admit his need. He said, hey, can you give me some money? And what did Peter admit? That he didn't have any, didn't he? I think that's interesting. Because when when people ask me for stuff, I like to pretend I can do it, that I can meet the need. How about you? I mean, especially if somebody asks me for like, Food or, you know, can you help me with some gasoline? Or can, you know, when people come to me, I like to pretend I can meet the need. Peter said, I can't. Peter says, I don't have the resources that this man is desiring. I don't have the money. Now me, I may have a few coins here. 
But when somebody comes up to me on the street and asks me to meet their need, in reality, I can't meet the deepest needs of their life. That's kind of humbling. I mean, surely we can. But you know, as I thought about this tonight, most people do not need to be touched by money, do they? My wife's going to get on to me after this sermon because she's going to say, you preached on that, why do you give away so much? You know, uh, Whatever. But, um, but the reality is, the money ain't going to help them. They need to be touched by Jesus Christ. The question tonight for us is very simple. Is will we admit our inadequacy? Will we admit that within ourselves we don't have the resources to meet the needs of people? I sure don't want to say that. I mean, gee whiz, I'm a professional minister. Will you extend, in essence tonight, the question is, will we extend our hands to others by faith in the name of Jesus Christ? Will we seek to meet the needs of people through His power rather than our own resources? It takes faith. Sometimes when we, when we trust Christ to meet the needs of others, we may get rejected. We may get rejected along with our assistance. Because in reality, there is no power in our hand. There was no power in Peter's hand. The power is in the person of Jesus Christ. And when people are touched by Jesus, genuinely touched by Him, they respond just like this man, by praising God. You know, when people are touched by our hands at best... We'll get a pleasant thank you, won't we? A polite thank you. There was a young man named Kevin, and I was walking home one evening from Halloween (laughs) years ago. And I'll never forget, Kevin was, was sitting on the steps near the sidewalk in front of his fraternity house. And he was wearing a costume... I guess he'd been to a Halloween party, his fraternity or whatever. And as I walked by him, he looked depressed and I just kept on walking. And after taking a, a few steps, I turned around and just walked back by him and he looked like he had had a few that night. So I ended up just talking to him for a few minutes and he ended up sharing about you know how things were going in his life and And I shared with him about Christ. I found out that he was a believer. He was far away from the Lord. The question I ask tonight is, will we really take time to see people? Will we actually listen to them? Will we understand their needs? Will we stretch forth our hands in Jesus' name? Despite how busy we are. 
We will be sensitive to the Lord in meeting the needs of individuals. The second thing for us to consider tonight is this. As we look in verse 11 through 26. Is that we must be men and women who are sensitive to the Lord in meeting the needs of, of many people. Look at what happens in verses 11 through 26. It says, while the beggar held on to Peter and John and all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. And then he says, You handed him, referring to Jesus, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given his, this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as you did your leaders, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he foretold. Through all the prophets saying that the Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That he may send the Christ who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. When all the people saw the lame man walking and, they, and praising God, there created such a spirit of wonder and amazement. It reminded me of the time Nancy was talking, teaching kindergarten. And... They were out on the playground with the kids. And a helicopter landed on a playground nearby where they were playing. And this little boy just got so excited seeing that aircraft land near their playground. He started yelling out to everybody, It's a helipopper. It's a helipopper. It's a helipopper. Can't you imagine what everybody was saying? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. We saw that guy for years. He couldn't walk. He couldn't do anything. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Peter and John have performed a miracle. We saw it. They re he reached down. He grabbed him. He's, he can walk. This is amazing. Can you believe it? And so the people run, just like they, you would expect. They run up to Peter and John. 
with wide-eyed amazement. And they're going, how did you do it? It's amazing. And Peter makes it clear that it was not his own power or his own piety that made this man walk. He makes it clear that it's Jesus Christ, the one whom they delivered up, the one they disowned, even after Pilate said, I'm going to let him go. He's the one who was put to death and raised from the dead. It's by his power this man was able to walk. See, Peter is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He's sensitive, just like he was to the need of that one man. Now this crowd is gathering because of the miracle. And Peter, again, being sensitive to the Spirit of God. What does he do? He challenges this crowd, this group of people, to repent. And to return to the Lord that their sins may be wiped away. He challenges them to turn 180 degrees. And he says, listen, you were so blind, you crucified the Son of God. So you must repent. You must turn back towards God. If you do, your sins will be wiped away. And that's the question to us tonight. Will we repent? Will we turn? In all honesty, are we more concerned with you know, accumulating things, accumulating our plan, running our lives than we are with turning to the Lord. He says we can know His presence. We can experience newness and freshness if we'll return to Him, if we'll turn to Him. And he's very upfront. Peter says it in verse 23. He says, anyone who does not listen to Him will be completely cut off. He says there is serious consequences if you neglect this relationship with Jesus. Peter knew that the needs of those individuals that had gathered around him was not to see another miracle. Okay, I've done this. Let me do something even greater. No, what the need of their life was to be rightly related to the God who had performed that miracle. So he boldly spoke the gospel. And the power of the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, I didn't read it because of just time, but there were some powerful men who were not so upset about the healing, but what they were upset about is the preaching that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, there will always be people who oppose you. There'll always be people who oppose you. Now, I doubt they're going to lock you up like they locked Peter and John up. But we don't have any restraints placed on us legally. But do we share the gospel? When God gives us the opportunity, when He creates the opportunity in our lives, do we share the gospel? Listen, there will always be opposition, but there will be people who are prepared who will respond. Now, my question is this, how many responded? Do we know? Look at verse 4 of chapter 4. 
How many had responded just shortly before this? 3,000, right? The scripture records. 3,000 responded before this. And if you look at chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But many who heard the message believed. And the number of the men grew to about what? 5,000. So approximately 2,000 people responded in that brief gospel presentation that Peter and John gave. Now here's what's amazing to me. I might could get it right once. What I mean is I'm walking into church and there's a a need right there and I'm in a hurry because I'm supposed to teach teach Sunday school or whatever or I'm supposed to be in the choir or whatever. You know, I'm in a hurry, but yet I'm walking in or, or even I'm going to business or whatever in my, the ebb and flow of my life. And, and, and the individual, I see that individual and the Holy Spirit touches my heart and, and I minister to them. But then I'd kind of be done for the day. What we see here is Peter and John walk in, they're in the midst of busyness and they respond, led by the Holy Spirit. And on the heels of that, God places them in another situation. And they trust the Holy Spirit to use them again. I might could get it right once. But could I do this on an ongoing basis? I mean, can I walk in the Spirit? Can I walk moment by moment allowing Jesus Christ to use me? Can I allow Him moment by moment... To meet the needs of individuals. Or whether it's many people. Can I allow him to do this? Through my life? Well Peter and John. What were they? They're ordinary people just like us weren't they? Matter of fact they were probably younger than most of us. At this time in their life. They admit Jesus Christ personally, and they allowed him to use them, whether it was in the middle of all kinds of activity, and there was one person who needed to be touched. As a result of that miracle, and a crowd came around them, they allowed the Lord to use them. I think the only way that can happen is what we're about to sing. It says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way, doesn't He? Walking with Him, He illuminates what we ought to do moment by moment. How do we know what to do moment by moment? What do we do? We trust Him. And we obey Him. We walk by faith and not by sight. Lord Jesus, I thank you tonight for your word. You know my tendency. You know I want to put it on automatic pilot.
You know I want to put the throttle down and go full speed ahead. You know there's so much to be accomplished for you. And yet you say, John, walk with me. Listen to me. Abide in me. John, trust and obey me. Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would take your word and and you personally would apply it to our hearts tonight. And that we would just trust you. Moment by moment. Day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand to our feet. We're going to sing hymn number 447. It's our hymn of invitation. If God has spoken to your heart tonight. And you sense. That he's leading you to make some kind of public decision. It might be to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you'd like to know how to do that. I can share with you, Bill can share with you, others can share with you tonight just how that can happen in your life. Or maybe in recent days you've already committed your life to Christ and you realize tonight He's calling you to make that public. He's calling you to be baptized, to be a disciple, to be a part of this church. Maybe God's speaking to you about another spiritual decision. However He's speaking to you, you respond and come and share and we'll pray and and we'll rejoice with you. Let's stand and sing hymn number 447. When we walk with